0: So, you want to turn in your Bibles this morning? We're going to, um, primary scripture, we're going to be jumping around a little bit, but the primary scripture is going to be in Matthew 24. And I want to talk this morning about a a few of the things that are going on in our world that probably may affect us in the near future. I have a social media friend who's a pastor in Roanoke, Virginia, uh, Virginia. And he posted a story that really, it got my blood boiling, but not in hatred, not in disgust, not in anything like that. It was just the deception that people are falling under in these days. That they think this is okay. And the, the story was that apparently we have the first transgender female who competed in a Miss USA contest. And when I say transgender, there's a lot, of, of, a lot of, of confusion about what that exactly means. Essentially, we have a biological male with male parts who identifies as a woman who took some estrogen and then went and competed against all the other women in the state of Nevada and won the Miss USA contest for his state. And now I was going to go represent our country in a Miss Universe pageant, apparently, or or the Miss USA, however that works. And I know we have some strong ladies in our church, and I I like that. I like strong women. I don't know how many of you would consider yourself feminists, but if I was a female and all these men kept coming into our, our sporting events and now our beauty contests and winning and kicking our butts, wouldn't you be getting upset at this point? I'm just curious. I didn't. Maybe, maybe I'm I'm totally wrong here. But I, I would just be thinking, wait a minute. We had our own thing over here, and you guys came and barged in anyway. I mean, that that would be getting me just really angry at this point. I mean, it's completely insane what our culture is starting to tolerate now. I never thought when I first read Romans one and. And I studied it and I was taking Bible college and, and understanding what the last half of Roman 1 was talking about when it's describing the complete decline of a society. From a godly one to going all the way away from God. I never thought I'd live to see the entire thing happen in my lifetime. But that's what is going on. We went from teaching evolution in the schools in the late 1950s, early 1960s. Then we started denying God as creator. And you see that described in Romans 1.21. You saw the free love movement begin in the 1960s and the 70s and exploded really huge in the 80s. And you see that in Romans 1.24 and 25. Homosexuality then came out of the closet, became accepted, celebrated, and even a desired thing to be. And you see that in Romans one twenty six and 27. Now we're here to the last part of the society decline. So listen to the word of God written 2,000 years ago describe modern day America. Romans one twenty eight says, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what not ought to be done. They became filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do... Such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Right now, whether you're in the workplace, school, or anything else, the pressure to conform to this complete moral collapse of our society and our culture is incredible. We talk about cancel culture. If you don't know what that is, it's when progressives turn all their weapons upon someone who doesn't agree with them and totally ruin their lives. You see them close businesses, get people fired, totally take away people's livelihoods, even get them driven out of town in some cases. And it's becoming more and more used in our culture here in America. And north of us in Canada, it's even worse. They're burning churches. They're arresting pastors for preaching the truth of God's word. The censors are doing everything they can to silence dissent online. If you simply put on Facebook Jesus is Lord, you'll get fact checked. So it raises some questions for us as followers of Jesus. One, how do we live in these troubled times? What are we to do? Do we go underground? Number two, how do we keep ourselves from growing fearful? I mean, you see a huge tidal wave coming at you. The appropriate response is fear and running for your life. And that's that's almost what it feels like in the spiritual right now. How do we then represent Jesus to those who don't know Him? And lastly, how do we stand firm in a day where it seems like nothing in this world Or our lives is holding true, steady, or firm. If you get nothing else out of today's message, understand this. Nothing that is going on today is catching God by surprise. I already read from you scripture that was written 2,000 years ago that predicted this was coming. Jesus knew days like this would come. Days where his followers would have that sense of unease, that sense in their gut that there's something wrong, something out of our control. And Jesus knew his followers would be tempted to compromise so as to avoid trouble. And in my prayer time, God has has led me to read and reread Hebrews 12 where it talks about the shaking that God will do In the last days. It reminds me kind of when you go ice fishing for the first time in the winter. You're not so sure if that ice is thick enough and you kind of go out like this. Kind of, okay, I'm not falling through. Okay, I'm not falling through. That's what that shaking feels like right now. Is what is inside me, what is upon me, what is around me strong enough to survive the shaking that God is sending. God the Father is doing this not to make our lives miserable. He's not doing it to to cause hardship. He's doing it to prepare a beautiful bride for His Son. These hard times that we are in and that are even more coming are the beauty treatments we all must endure before that great day when we meet His Son and be with Him forever. But it's going to mean that many of the earthly things we put our hope and our faith in will probably be torn down in the coming days. And that is what Jesus is going to be talking about this morning as we read Matthew 24. Starting in verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came to him to call attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked. I tell you the truth. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now listen to what Jesus tells us and ask yourself, does this describe the world we live in? Jesus answered, watch that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of birth pains. Verse 9, then you will be handed over and be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of Me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love, the agape love of God, of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end, will be saved. And Father, I just pray, Lord, as we go through this difficult topic this morning, that you put a steel within the, the soul of the believer this morning, Lord. That you use it to set a foundation of belief and faith that will get us through any tough time that can come. And as much as we know that this is prophesied, we still pray for revival, Lord. That as the as days grow darker, that people will more want to run to the light. So prepare us, Father, either way, for harvest or for persecution. Either way, let us live in such a way that says, Jesus Christ is my Lord. There I stand, Amen. Now, if you were to read Matthew 24 just by itself without recognizing the context in what was written, it could be one of the most frightening parts of the Bible. It's not a pleasant picture. And Jesus is speaking prophetically. He's looking toward the future. He's telling us what's going to happen and preparing us for it and saying, this is what is coming, but I am already there. I have already predicted it. And no matter what happens, I will be there with you. Jesus emphatically tells us that he who stands firm to the end will be saved. But how do we do that? Most people, the word bravery and courage are, are great ideals, but they haven't had a lot of experience in their life having to live out those, those ideals. So how do you do that? How do you, how do you get that going in your own spirit so that you can stand firm When the persecution comes. Let's look at three principles seen in the Scripture and others that do just that. And the first principle of standing firm is don't put your hope in this world. In the first few verses of this chapter of the Bible, Jesus' followers are marveling. Remember, these are, are guys who rarely see Jerusalem. And they're marveling at the thickness of the walls, the height of the walls, the massive buildings, the armaments, the battlements, all these kind of things, how impregnable Jerusalem has been. (coughs) As they're walking toward it, and they're pointing this out to Jesus. Look at the mighty city of Jerusalem, Jesus. Jesus turns to them and says, you know what? As mighty as this city is, there will be a day where not one stone was going to be left on another. When Titus came in 70 AD, his troops literally tore every single stone and threw it on the ground. Not one building was remained standing. That threw them for a loop. And they needed some clarification. That's why they sat him down. What do you mean about all this, Jesus? I mean, remember, James and John are already picking out their, their spots where Jesus is going to sit, right? They tried to get their mom to, to get them a better spot, even. G, Peter probably had business cards printed, Jesus' best friend. You know, on this rock he's building his church. I'm, I'm the guy. I mean, they're, they're all thinking about their future life of glory in Jesus' earthly kingdom, never understanding what he was doing spiritually instead Jesus gives us that first principle of standing firm is have your focus in the right place that's why Jesus immediately told them the truth Jerusalem is not going to be standing in 70 years or 40 years from that time the world in general and our personal lives in particular are very transient how many changes have each one of us gone through just in our short lifespan We thought we were going to end up here and we ended up way over there. I never thought even 10 years ago I would be here in central Wisconsin. Ask yourself this, how many times in your life have you things that you thought were absolutely sure have proven themselves changeable? You can't be in the medical field if you're not used to change, everything changes. Here's some examples of some things that have changed. Remember those golden years before September 11th when we thought terrorism was something that happened overseas? That changed. Or how about our str- our country right now and our culture struggling to define the difference between a male and a female? How about the idea of a millionaire playboy from New York ever becoming president? Anybody see that one coming? Nope, <laughs> never thought in a million years Donald Trump would ever be our president. I'm not saying it's good or bad, I'm just saying it was. And that's why the Bible tells us, don't put your hope on the things of this world. And God is shaking his church right now, and trying to shake us awake in these last hours. Crying out to us, sending us words through the Spirit, through the Word and through prophets saying, look up, our redemption and salvation is at hand. His name is Jesus, and He is coming to take us home. A few minutes ago, I referred to that verse in Hebrews and during the worship time. This is the verse, Hebrews 12, 26 and 27. At this time, He's talking about Mount Sinai. At this time, His voice shook the earth. But now He has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The word once more indicates the removing of things which can be shaken. That is, created things. So that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Lord Jesus, change our hearts that we may obey your command to seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness in this day. The second principle for standing firm is to understand that trouble is going to come. Jesus spoke of wars, rumors of wars, pestilence, pestilence is diseases, epidemics, plagues. Do we know what that feels like? Been through that too, right? If you're a Christian wanting to live a life pleasing to God, you have the additional possibility of persecution, mocking, prison, perhaps even death. It may not be happening here yet, but it's been happening increasingly in other countries. We need to take a moment and really consider that. Because I want you to also consider that every single one of the disciples with the exception of Judas was persecuted for their faith. All of them were beaten. All of them were imprisoned at one time or another. All of them were ridiculed, driven away from their homes, lost properties, and with the exception of John, killed for their faith. One of the greatest examples of this after the disciples, was a man named Polycarp. Polycarp was brought to Jesus by the Apostle John. He was one of his disciples. Polycarp, during the time of Emperor Commodus of Rome, anybody remember the movie Gladiator? It was that Commodus. His father, Marcus Aurelius, had started the persecution of Christians again. Under Commodus, it got even worse. And at 89 years old, Polycarp, was now the bishop of the church in Smyrna. And he was accused of his enemies of leading people not to worship the god of Rome. Commodus had passed a law, if you don't worship the emperor, or at least one of the gods of Rome, you are to be put to death. I'm going to read a story about his arrest and martyrdom taken from Fox's Book of Martyrs. After his arrest, Polycarp was taken into the arena. A voice came to him from heaven Be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. No one saw who had spoken, but our brothers who were there heard the voice. The proconsul, who was the Roman governor of the area, asked him if he was Polycarp. Upon hearing he was, he tried to persuade him to deny Jesus. The proconsul said, Have respect for your old age and swear to the godhood of Caesar. Repent and say, down with the atheists, which was to say there was no other gods but Caesar or those recognized by Rome. Polycarp looked at the heathen multitude in the stadium and gestured toward the crowd, and he said, down with the atheists. Knowing what he meant, the proconsul again urged him, swear, reproach Christ and I will set you free. Polycarp declared, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and savior? The proconsul replied, I have wild animals here. I'll throw you to them unless you change your mind. Polycarp replied, Call them. It is unthinkable for me to repent what is good to turn to that which is evil. The pro Council said, if you despise the animals, if you're not afraid of them, I'll have you burned at the stake. Polycarp replied, you threaten me with fire, which burns for an hour and then is extinguished. But you know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want. They tied him to the executioner's pole which was surrounded by oil-soaked wood, to burn him at the stake. When the fire was lit, the flames blazed furiously. We who were privileged to witness it saw a great miracle. This fire shaped itself into the form of an arch, like the sail of a ship, when it filled with the wind and formed a circle around the body of the martyr, but did not burn him. Eventually, when those wicked men saw that his body could not be consumed by the fire, they commanded an executioner to pierce him with a spear. Such a great quantity of blood flowed that the fire was immediately extinguished. The crowd were amazed at the difference between the unbelievers dying in the arena and the believers of Jesus, and many were one to saving faith in Christ through the death of Polycarp and i read you this story this morning to show you the following polycarp stand his final stand in his death were not a result of a momentary empowering of the holy spirit although god's spirit was definitely all over polycarp it was simply an extension of a life that had already been lived for god of a decision final decision that had been made decades before. Therefore, he could face that crowd, that pro without fear. I don't know where you are this morning. The news of the day may have you fearful. It may have you questioning your faith in God. Most of us spend a great deal of time at work around people who don't believe in God. Or around maybe lukewarm Christians who claim Jesus is Lord, but who don't live what they believe. And you might be counting the cost this morning and asking yourself, is following Jesus worth it? You will have to answer that question now so that if you get to the place of Polycarp later, your mind is already made up. Today is the day to make those decisions before the times get any harder. And I encourage you, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't give in to cynicism. Don't give in to fear. See these situations for what they are. They are hurting lost people, crying out for hope because of the deception of this age that we live in. They can't see the way out of the darkness they are in. And they lash out. They lash out to try to bring us down with them. I tell you this morning, continue to pray. Continue to pray that God gives you faith like Polycarp. And that you'll see that through dying to yourself, dying to your pride, dying even to carrying what other people think about you or your reputation. Because living for Jesus is more important to you. And that leads us to our final principle this morning that will have you stand firm in these last days. And This is going to be a hard one for many people. And it's going to sound kind of counterintuitive. But don't put your faith and trust in people. That's a hard one to reconcile with the love that we're supposed to have for people with Jesus. And when I say don't put your trust in people, I mean don't allow yourself to be shocked when they act like fallen people. The scripture tells us already that the love of most will grow cold. That word love, agape, means that the God selfless kind of love will disappear from this planet. The neighbor you helped r- rake leaves or shovel snow last weekend might be the one that eventually turns you to the authority if Christianity becomes legal in this country. How do I know that's going to happen? Because Jesus said so. In fact, Jesus didn't trust people either. It says in John 20, or 2.24 that Jesus would not entrust Himself to them for He knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. See, Jesus understands that even the bravest among us, the most committed among us, the most dedicated among us, is potentially a failure at some point in their life. Jesus even predicted that even his best friend Peter would deny him. And he did so hours later after he predicted that. Even the man that Jesus called rock failed him. And sometimes God lets us go through those dark periods of sin and failure that gets us to where we're so deep into the hole we've dug for ourselves that we can't see anything other than our own pride and arrogance. And that's when we finally call to Jesus to really save us. A strong corollary to this is when a leader in the church fails us. And this is one of the most heartbreaking things that churches go through is when a leader fails. It hit me recently, one of my spiritual heroes was found to have been living a double life most of his his life. Ravi Zacharias was found was one of the greatest Christian apologists who has ever lived. And yet, right after he died, people came forward accusing him of, of significant sexual sin, up to and including sexual assaults and it makes you question it really it makes me question how can one of the greatest christian apologists for the christian faith who has who has ever lived live such a glaring life of sin outside of the spotlight the answer to that question is remember the simple fact we're all just dirt having a spiritual experience I don't excuse it. I don't try to explain it away. I don't excuse members of the church, whether they're pastors or lay people, having unrepented sin in their life, especially when it comes to that kind of forcible sexual sin. That makes me want to beat the devil out of somebody when I hear that. But saying that, I also understand that we all have our blind spots. We all have our pet Sins that we try to keep away from everyone else. And we also have an enemy. The greater you, you rise in Christ, the more that enemy is waiting to pounce in that weak area to drag you back down. And that is why you never put your trust in a human, but only in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because really to do otherwise is idolatry. In closing, if we're going to stand firm in the days of evil, these last days before the return of Jesus, the three principles of don't put your hope in this world, of understanding that trouble will come and not putting your hope and trust in people, but only in the Lord Jesus, all three of these are really boiled down to one command that Jesus gave us. And that is seek First, the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these other things, the things that we desire most, peace, strength, godly focus, and courage will be given to you as well.